What comes to your mind when I say Tibet? The beautiful Himalayan mountains? The Dalai Lama? Or the famous movie Seven Years in Tibet? There are so many books and movies about Tibet. No doubt they're wonderful, but they're usually not from a Tibetan's perspective. And I need to say this we're so much more than momos and singing bowls. I don't even confirm if singing bowls are a Tibetan thing. To give you that authentic sense of what Tibet is and what our culture truly is like, we are here once again with season two of Waking Up Closer to Tibet. Hi, I am Benzin. I am so many things professionally, but at my very core, I am a Tibetan. Join me in this brand new season. As I speak to some of the most celebrated Tibetan names who know Tibet in their own unique ways. Ten marvelous episodes with five amazing guests. In this season, I will be having the privilege of being in conversation with His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama, Geshe Thupten Jimpa, Geshe Dorji Damdo, Pechung, and Reka Gava. So don't forget to tune in every Wednesday as we get. Bit by bit, closer to Tibet. Tashidile and welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with the renowned Tibetan singer, songwriter, Tai Chung. Also, I have a little surprise for you. Tai Chung will be singing. Yes, you heard that right. Tai Chung will be singing one of his most loved traditional Tibetan songs of all time. In this episode, We will be discussing about the different types of Tibetan music in detail and also about Dei Chung's Tibetan dance and opera company, which is known as the Chak Sampa. We will also be discussing about his collaboration with distinguished and noteworthy figures like Philip Glass, U2, John Lee Hooker, and Patti Smith. I am so thrilled and honored to welcome. Chung on waking up closer to Tibet. Um, now, there are different kinds of Tibetan music, right? There is um, our religious music, um, then there is secular music, which consists of uh, classical and folk. And you are actually, uh, you've been a Lhamo artist, right? An opera a dancer and singer. So uh, please enlighten us a little bit about that because I think Lhamo is a form of classical Tibetan music, right? Yes. Mm. Well, Lhamo basically means the opera, the, mm. you know, opera. Mm. and in Tibetan word, Hamo basic means goddess or mm. Nagini. You know, that's mm. the word we use because the founder of the Tibetan opera uh, in 14th century, I think, Tangbong Gyabo, who was a saint, he had a vision of these goddesses performing and that's how he, you know, it was started. Oh. And he used that performing arts to build bridges in Tibet, like a suspension bridges, because he noticed that during those days we have the biggest rivers and a lot of pilgrims who are suffering. And, you know, and so he had the 
the vision in his dream to with these dancers, goddesses or Hamu, Azil Hamu, we call it. And he performed, and then they. Oh, this is a long story, and uh, he fundraised and hmm. bridge. I think he built. We say 108, but I think there were like 50 some suspension bridges. Wow! And when he built those bridges, he used performing arts, these operas, to uh, fundraise and build. And then later on, these operas all have a theme, story of uh, Buddhist stories uh, of life, and uh, you know, um, and so uh, that's one kind, and that is. Every year there's a festival called Shirtan, which we do it in India too, mm-hmm. in Dhamsala. Uh, there are all the opera groups from Western Tibet, and there are five or six groups they come to Lhasa. Mm-hmm. And then we have these uh, uh, dances from Western part of Tibet we call Todung, which is a drum dance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of shakings and movements and you know circling and singing and all. That has a very strong kind of a ancient burn kind of a, you know, style traditions you know trans kind of dance okay. and then we have these folk dances from western tibet very popular korshia we call it no and they carry the uh, this lute and they call village get together and 30 40 people singing and dancing all night then we go to eastern tibet there's calm in calm there's a uh, they call it tro which is a dance, not used to much music instrument, but vocalizing and dancing. And then you go to Kongpo, which is close to India. Hmm. They have these Kongpo uh, dances and singings. And so there's all kinds of regional folk dances and all of them have their own costumes and dresses. And a lot of the dances, you know, uh, they kind of... Uh, to share, uh, to respect the local deities and appease them, ask for a good harvest and things like that. And then at the same time, it was, it was also a socializing, you know, connecting for men and women, young, you know, boys and girls to, you know, meet and things like that. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it was a very socializing kind of, you know, events. Uh, and okay. Dances. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Wow. If you sit down to actually learn about something, there's so much to learn. It never ends. Um, and for me also with this show, as I am you know, meeting extraordinary beings, souls like you, doing extraordinary things, um, I understand that there's so much that I don't know about my own culture. So that's incredible. Um, you are the co-founder of uh, Chak Sempa. I hope Chak Sampa, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. A Tibetan dance and opera company. And the ensemble has performed with many distinguished and noteworthy figures. Uh, here's uh, like a really short list that I have in front of me. I'm sure there are a few others as well that I've missed naming here. Uh, Philip Glass, U2, John Lee Hooker, Patti Smith. Uh, what is the story behind Chak Sempa? Like a quick story that you'd like to share with us. Well, uh, after I immigrated to the United States, as it is with a lot of immigrants, you really have to struggle to find your you know, ground and, you know, meaning like getting real job. And I kind of persuaded uh, because art was important and also mm. our story was very mm. important mm. to share. And so I founded Chak Sampa with a uh, group uh, of a couple of members. And those days, Tibet was pretty p- highlighted in the global uh, 
awareness, you know, because mm. of the uh, the rock musicians, especially Beastie Boys, who some of the, the late Adam Yak was the one of the member of Beastie Boys. They've been to Nepal, Tibet, and they know about it. So they have a fascination, and also they wanted to help, you know, promote Tibetan like uh, freedom movement, non-violence, and things like that. So we were at the right time, at the right, you know, we were started and we were struggling to do small things here, but then these big events happened. So that's where we were invited and we performed and we kind of like really kept the Tibetan kind of traditional, you know, operas and things like that, where all the rock musicians were jumping and doing like <laughs> real authentic stuff. Like, so that's where I got inspired, you know, in the art in the West there. Mm. a lot of respect for arts you know even though there's a lot of artists still struggling and so that was Chaksampa and Chaksampa was also an, another name for the saint that I told you who started the Tibetan opera in, in Tibet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another name for him is Chaksampa means bridge builder oh okay now it makes so we, yeah. we organized that and we had a few good moments but as an art organization, it's never easy. You know, you need a lot of fundings to search to look for. We were not very good. But anyway, that was the kind of a, a moments, yeah. Okay, okay. And uh, you collaborate with uh, musicians from other cultures and traditions, whether it is with the composer, uh, you know, and performer Miguel Frisconi or jazz keyboardist Kit Walker. The collaboration, you know, the music sounds very beautiful. I'm sure I must have missed a few names here. You've collaborated with so many others as well. Um, who else have you collaborated with or are currently collaborating with? And, you know, since they're from different parts of the world, what is the musical exchange really like? Well, those names that the artists that I collaborated were uh, a few that I, uh, you know, experienced. Traditional music is not very easy to collaborate, actually, to be honest, you know, uh, we were really like strict and I'm sure it's like an Indian music or, you know, traditional mm. music. Mm-hmm. We, we were never open to, we were never taught about collaboration. So uh, it's a very unique, our own way. It's, but after coming to the West and stuff, I just open up and there's a lot of uh, emphasis or there's openness in other cultures. So like during the Africa tour, we were jamming with some of the African musicians and things like that. There is a way to open up. And if you are open enough, you can, you know, collaborate with things. And, but I'm not a very good collaborator. Like, I, I don't know, we were not trained, you know, we were not like, oh, we, we are not very good with that. But I think I'm I'm ready and I'm I'm looking for it and at the same time the traditional way is also disappearing quite fast due to our situation in exile and uh, this disconnectedness of our land and our mm-hmm. culture you know like um, so there's a responsibility for me to really like keep as much as we can while mm-hmm. I can do it you know That's true that's true. Where Tibetans live, it influences their music. It, it certainly does. Because Tibetans living in India, you know, the kind of music that uh, Tibetans produce here in exile, it has a little bit of Indian influence. The ones living in, uh, in Tibet itself, they have a little bit of Chinese influence with their songs, right? And then in the West, of course, Western. So it's, it's quite natural. But at the end, I think what's really special and unique about us, Te Chungla, is that... Um, 
there is a saying, right? Right, which means from from heart, we're all Tibetans. We're all Tibetan brothers and sisters. And I think that is the seed of everything, a sense of everything. Um, so, what is in your headspace when you sit down to write a song? I'm really intrigued to know about your process. Well, you know, we were never taught to write new pieces or music, or we were very traditionalists, as I was trying to tell you before. And in the 90s, when I started writing my first album, uh, I had this desire, like, because we were really getting distracted with the, uh, because of um, being a small community, uh, people were really, uh, we were not very good in embracing our culture. We all want to be westernized or Indianized or mm-hmm. you know, Hollywood and things like that. When mm-hmm. I was growing up, there was a lot of... Uh, fear that uh, we might not be able to hold on to our culture you know that was a very big fear not only culture our freedom struggle too Mm. we get very complacent you know in India like going up and down and talking about your business and this and that we have a freedom struggle you know people Mm. have to and that was really like a moment when I wanted to write some freedom songs you know that was my inspiration and also I was heartbroken at that that's what I should have said my, whatever I said before, like uh, difficult moments or something like that. And there was uh, some kind of pain in me that uh, about, you know, our life. And so there was two elements that I have. And so I wrote, sat down and wrote some songs and I was hoping hmm. that, uh, you know, and actually I was uh, hoping that those freedoms struggle can, you know, be inspi- inspiration for my community. But those were the few elements that I had. And then I, was very aware that the melodies has to be very traditional kind of based. So I purposely, you know, uh, called from all the songs and music that I have known and sort of wrote. So my first album, which is called Yerlung, uh, Tibetan Songs of Love and Freedom. And so that was a little bit collaborative, uh, contemporary, but the themes were about freedom and about uh, uh, about love and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, writing new songs is, uh, the, you will never get the answer because it's a process yeah. that nobody really knows how it is. Mm-hmm. It, you mm-hmm. can tell any way you want, but you are kind of waiting for. And I think there's a time that you have something to say. That's what I learned here. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have something to say. And if you really feel about it, mm-hmm. then that's a good motivation to write. Mm-hmm. But not because you just, there's no reason then, you know, it's not going to be too um, successful or good. I don't know. Right. Like yeah. And when we write something, a piece or anything, whether it is, even for me in my industry, when I sit down to write an article, I am like my biggest critique. And I think all of us are our biggest critique. Oh, no, this is not good. So I think instead of that, we should just sit down and whatever comes, just write it down and don't be a critique. Don't be the editor firsthand. Just do it and then go with the flow. I think that is the best way to go about it, right? Yes. yes. Okay, great, great, great. Um, so the final question, because I know you have uh, another thing to attend to because uh, you're you're really busy. Um, so what would be your message for our audiences tuning in from around the world? And of course, since you're here and I'm one of your fans, um, please sing for us the snow lion of peace it is one of my absolute favorites i go into a different world when i listen to that song so yeah so that is my final request and my final question for you the jungla 
Well, uh, my uh, message, you know, to share with everyone is that we really have to embrace our traditions and culture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and not because everything modern is bad and this and that, but change changes are happening so fast that we the continuation is almost breaking, you know, nowadays, uh, I feel. And especially in the Tibetan world, we, we, uh, uh, we have to, because the elders, you know, a lot of our elders have passed away and are, we have to preserve as much as we can. So respecting the ancient songs and traditions is what I would say wherever we are, you know, like some, it, it really it gives you a sense of confidence and a sense of connection to your past and things like that. And uh, even in Africa, I, you know, there are a lot of, I met a lot of artists that are doing those kind of work that I'm doing, uh, you know, connecting. It feels very good, you know, to have this kind of sense of respect to past, you know. So you want me to sing Snow Line of Peace? And this yes. was uh, from yeah. the album, album from uh, Yerlum. Mm-hmm. And this was a very interesting song because um, uh, the melody was based on traditional piece, but I kind of, you know, worked it out. And then the style was also from Eastern kind of Tibet style. And the message was very incredible because the lyricist was uh, from Amdo and he mm. wrote this tribute to His Holiness the Dalai Lama for nonviolence, for teaching us uh, peace, a uh, peace that is within, you know, how we should be empowered with our own kind of strength in peace and things like that. And then uh, respect to all the great masters, you know, their practices are like a weapon of peace. And it just was one of those music that uh, made people recognize me as a teacher, uh, Tibetan musician, and also in some films and things like that. So, mm. sure, I will sing that for you. And, yes, uh, okay. We have the thing ready, darling. Okay. So a little bit of music in the beginning. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so let's sing Snow Line first. Is it yes. Sing 
was so good. That was so good. And that was Pechung live for you. It was a concert. So it was amazing. Thank you so much, Pechung La. That was amazing. Thank you. Much pleasure. Yes. Yes, I got to witness this live, so I'm very happy about this. And all thanks to Sisa as well. Of course, you for accepting this invitation, but also for Sisa mm-hmm. for, you know, doing everything and organizing everything. I know you've had a very busy schedule because you've been touring, you've been doing so many things. Um, but still, you took up the time to do this interview uh, and support the cause that I am, you know, I have the vision for. So I'm very, very thankful and I'm very happy that I was able to share this really, um, you know, kind of very positive and energetic space with you. Um, and it was it was my absolute honor having you on the show. Thank you very much. And also, uh, best of luck to you. And, you know, you rebounce, bounce the energy to me. And uh, I, I'm really inspired to see new generation that has the, the kind of interest, enthusiasm in culture and, you know, uh, art and uh, journalism, whatever it is, and uh, making us relevant, you know, in this world. Mm. I appreciate that. And thanks for inviting me. And I want to say hello to all my, all my uh, friends in India course namaste and uh, shukriya and everything isn't it thank you so much thank you you know honestly speaking as a tibetan with this podcast i am getting to learn new things about my culture every single day it feels so wonderful to be a part of something where I'm not only able to share my beautiful culture with all of you, and I'm thankful that all of you listen, tune in, and support, but here I also get to learn a lot while I'm on this journey of, you know, getting closer to Tibet. And I know even you're trying to um, get closer to Tibet, get to know Tibet better. I have never been to Tibet, but I surely feel that each day, I'm inching closer to Tibet. What about you? If you like this episode, then please support this podcast by sharing it with your loved ones. You can give me a shout out and mention me in your Instagram stories and posts. My Instagram handle is tenzin.chidin.24. That is T-E-N-Z-I-N dot C-H-O D-O-N dot 24. To stay updated about Waking Up Closure to Tibet podcast, don't forget to follow HD Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. To listen to more podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast.com or suno nay nazariyesi. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast.